uh, grab your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs 9, the Lady Wisdom passage, actually two chapters. We, we spent significant time in chapter 8, which was not the original plan. Um, but I think, Lord willing, we can look at all of chapter 9 in a single setting. At least that, that's our, our, our point. The, book, the chapters we'll see is broken down into three parts, but they're, they, they all, uh, uh, they're related to each other. And I, I think we'll, we'll see that. Proverbs chapter 9, if you'll stand with me out of reverence God's word, we'll, we'll read the, the entire passage. Solomon writes on the inspiration of the Spirit, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her bees. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here to him who lacks sense. She says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abused. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we ask we come to this text this evening uh, that you would... Uh, Open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears, our mouth, our hands and our feet. That this this is a, a fantastic text, and it's one that I, I'm not sure I've, I've quite figured it all out yet. And and yet what we see here is incredible. Well, we we, we are asked to, to to choose. Let us choose Lady Wisdom. Let us walk in her wisdom. May I decrease that you can increase. Name yourself. We pray. Amen. Be seated. I've mentioned uh, some examples before, so, so we won't do it, but uh, you can Google Yogi Berra quotes, right? And I've, I've read some of those in the past. Um, one, of, uh, one of them that always comes to mind is when he says, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Uh, there's some real wisdom in that. And actually what Solomon does as he, as he uh, rounds out his discussion of wisdom in general, but Lady Wisdom in particular, is he, he brings us to a fork in the road and he asks the reader to choose which way to go. Um, one of the things that you can do with Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, this is something that I didn't really know um, uh, for a while, is that when I think of Proverbs, I think of the pithy statements, right? And, and most of Proverbs is that. In fact, chapters 10 to 31 is essentially that. That's a simple oversimplification, but it's essentially that. So if you turn to chapter 10, you'll find pithy statements. Chapter 11, pithy statements. I'm working my way on Twitter through Proverbs, and I'm, I'm in chapter 14 now. And it's just pithy statements, right? And, and uh, uh, Proverbs is very tweetable, if you will. And uh, they're, they're short, they're practical, and easy to understand. However, the opening nine chapters is very much words of wisdom from a father to a son. 
and more specifically from a king to his heir. We've talked about that. That means that chapter 9 is the conclusion of the opening section of Proverbs. And Solomon concludes asking his son, Rehoboam, um, and, and thereby the reader, to choose the way of wisdom. And so what you have here in chapter 9 is a, a chapter broken up into three parts. And, and what we would normally do is start in part 1, which is six verses, and then look at part 2, which is six verses, and then conclude with part 3, which is six verses. But I don't think that's what we're going to do. Because what he does is, is he, he tells us to choose either the way of wisdom or the way of folly. And Lady Wisdom is in the first section. Lady Folly is in the third section. And in the middle section is where all the, the fun debate is. And so what we want to do is to look at the first and third section, and then uh, at the end we'll conclude with the second section, if, if that is okay. Well, even if it's not, it's what we're going to do anyways. It's my birthday, right? So let's start with the way of wisdom, verses 1 to 6. And there's a couple words I want to highlight because, because what you'll see when we compare the two, it's so well written, there are parallels and there are contrasts. Okay, so here's the first word that comes to mind, verses 1 to 2. The word is hospitality. Notice the language starting in verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn its seven pillars. She has slaughtered the beasts, mixed her wine. She has set her table. She has sent out young women to call from the highest places in the town. And she, she of course, says, come, come. It's interesting to me that thus far, Lady Wisdom has really been portrayed as a traveler. If you go back to our study of chapter 8, you remember that she is at the city gate. She is at the crossroads. She's at the high places. She is calling out. And chapter 8 ends, again, with Solomon saying, heed the call of wisdom. Listen and live, you may recall from last Sunday evening. Now, however, she's not a traveler. She's a homemaker. She, we, we see her role in the house. She, she has built her house. Now, what's interesting about that language, remember that what we've said about wisdom is that she is feminine. And so you go to chapter 8, we, we find all kinds of feminine language. After all, it's why we call her Lady Wisdom. However, here we see that she actually takes on masculine roles, right? So we see that she builds her house. You won't meet many women who have built a house. No offense, ladies. You will meet some men, right? A good buddy of mine growing up, uh, when they moved to uh, Sparta, uh, they lived in a house that his father built with his bare hands, right? Now, not many men have done that. Uh, I had a deacon where I was before. They lived in a house he built with his hands. Not many men have done that, but I'm guessing that if you were to do a comparison of how many men to how many women, it's going to err on the side of men who have done that. Yet we see it's wisdom, Lady Wisdom, who is building her house. Not only that, she has hewn seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. These are all masculine roles. However, we also see she fulfills traditionally feminine roles. Verse 2, she mixes her wine. She sets her table. The point here is to see that Lady Wisdom is a personification. And so uh, personifications, uh, th th there's some limitations to the metaphor. The general idea is to see in wisdom uh, 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 feminine qualities, yes. 
but there's some limitations to that. This is a literary tool to help the reader to better understand the value of divine insight. So you have God the Father and you have Lady Wisdom, and and the, the Solomon wants his son to the sit, sit at their feet and to love them. The main point here is to see that she is a hospitable host. In the ancient Near Eastern world, hospitality was, was perhaps the chief virtue. In fact, if you go to other parts of the world, you'll find the same thing. My wife and I went to Trinidad Tobago years ago. We were overwhelmed by their hospitality. It's, it's to the point to where you, you, you feel ashamed, right? Because this is not our culture. We would prefer people not come to our house, right? I mean, like if as a pastor, people expect you to come by for a visit. Okay, I come knocking. What's the first thing that comes out of the wife's mouth? Well, yes, my house is a mess. I wish I'd known you were coming, right? Uh, what are you saying there is, is I wish you weren't here, right? Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating there, of, of, of course, but, but you, you go to ancient cultures like in, in Africa where, where you go into a village and they have nothing, no food, no drink. They will treat you as a king because you are an outside guest. That is strange for Americans to, to really hear that. But we get this all over the Bible. Remember Genesis 18. When God appears to Abraham, the oaks of Moriah, uh, or Mamre, rather, um, Genesis 19 is, is the uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, you remember that Abraham, when the three men show up, because it's God and the two angels that will go to Sodom, is, is he immediately says, let me give you something to drink. Let me give you some food. Let me serve you. And he orders his wife to go bake bread. But because as the chief, the chieftain there, he has a, a very important responsibility there. The prophet Elijah is uh, received well by the widow of Zarephath. Jesus mentions that in the Gospels. Elisha is hosted by the Shunammite woman. And the Mosaic law orders the Israelites to show hospitality to the strangers. Leviticus 19, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You see, this is a theological issue to Moses. Moses. Because, because as the descendants of slaves, you know what it is to suffer. To be a stranger in a strange land and to suffer as a result, you are not to do that to others. We'll come that back later. Solomon is guilty of violating this, by the way. We'll, we'll come back to it uh, in, in due time. New Testament, same thing, Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2, one of the more famous Verses of Hebrews, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. First Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And this is a biblical virtue. It's where we get the idea of hospitals. It's a Christian idea. Hospitals did not exist as we understand them today until the rise of Christianity. The closest thing you had in the Roman world to the modern-day hospital was for so Roman soldiers only. Common people didn't have hospitals. The Christians come and they, 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 they open these things up, people uh, who, who, who help other people uh, when they are sick. Well, this is the picture we get of Lady Wisdom. She is welcoming. She is inviting. And this is contrast, as we'll see, by Lady Folly, who is she seduces. So, so uh, both are welcoming. One welcomes for your good. The other welcomes for your destruction. So we see that she is welcoming. Uh, but both the home and the feast we see here are luxurious, right? Verse 1, we see that, that uh, she builds her house with seven pillars. Uh, this is clearly uh, describing a mansion, right? And the number seven is, of course, a significant number there. In verse 2, notice what they're eating, meat and wine. Now, in the ancient world, like all your meals are bread 
and water, right? That's, that's what you're going to eat three days, uh, three times a day, right? If you're lucky. Here it's meat and wine, which is the best of the best. Meat was very expensive, um, and you would normally not have a sort of meal like this apart from holidays, festivals, and weddings and stuff like this. But no, with Lady Wisdom, she is wealthy. She is luxurious. She is, uh, when, you, when you come uh, in, she treats you as a king, as a, as a, as a, um, a guest of honor, if you will. She is hospitable. So we get hospitality. The second word we want to see here is invitation. Starting there, verse 3, she sends out her women to call. That's the language from chapter 8. Lady Wisdom is the one who calls her to heed her. But now she's sending her, the young women, the servants out. They are going to the high places in the town. Verse 4, whoever is simple, let them turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. It's interesting, uh, wine and bread there, but... We'll save that maybe for another time. Well, she has prepared her home, right? And now she has opened the doors and she is inviting all to, to come in. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that we discover her mansion there in verse 3 is at a high place. You remember that in the ancient world, high places is where temples are, are found. The high places. You remember that the kings would often destroy the high places around Israel. These are pagan shrines. And, and so the reason for that is the ancients believed that the gods descended to the mountains so that humans can ascend to the mountains. And there you'll, you'll find uh, God and man dwelling together. Um, so you get this all over the Bible. Uh, the Garden of Eden was on a, on a hilltop, right, a mountaintop. Um, the uh, uh, ark, it, it lands on top of a mountain. Uh, the temple is built on top of a mountain, right, in, in Jerusalem. So uh, this, this is common imagery, but, but it's, it's significant that um, her house is, is therefore a type of temple. Remember that Lady Wisdom is a personification of the wisdom of God. So it makes sense then that she dwells on the top of a mountain because that's where God dwells, if you will. And you'll find her there. Well, the servants are sent to invite the uh, simpletons, if you will, that come to Lady Wisdom. And you remember, we said this in our study of chapter 8, simpletons is not a synonym for the foolish. Simpletons are simple, but they are not fools. And the difference is simpletons may not know much. They may not have a lot of wisdom, but they are still willing and able to learn. Fools do not. This is what makes them fools. You can tell a fool that is foolish, and they'll look at you like a bobblehead doll. Uh, and so, so the servants are going out to those who particularly need to heed her message. But the idea is to come inside, sit at her table, and doing so, you will not be simple anymore. She is hospitable. She is inviting. And notice verse 5, the invitation is given. Come, eat my bread, drink the wine that I have mixed. If that language sounds familiar, it's because you know your Bible. Uh, God will use similar language in Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. That's not surprising because Lady Wisdom is the personification of the omniwise God. So she is, she is inviting us to, to join her in her home where she is generous with her hospitality. Let me give you just one more word real quickly. It's verse 6. The word is participation. Notice it there, leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. Now, all these words we've, we've looked at in some detail. Chapter 8 ends with an emphasis on listening and living. And we also talked about the, the importance of the word like insight or understanding. But you see here that, that, that if, you, if you will come and, and, and accept the invitation, you are then sent 
out, right? To, to live, to walk in wisdom. So she welcomes in to gloriously send you out. Um, and, and her home is always an inviting space. So, so, so this is Lady Wisdom. It's a beautiful image, right? And you can see why, again, it's a, it's a feminine image here of, of, of a woman who opens her house and her very presence is, is itself a blessing. Well, let's, in contrast to that, let's look at the way of folly, verses 13 to 18. You remember the, the words that we looked at, hospitality, invitation, and participation. Instead of hospitality, what we get with Lady Folly is, first of all, manipulation. Those language in verse 13. The woman Folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. It's interesting, isn't it, that wisdom invites, folly manipulates. And her primary means of manipulation, we should note this here, and remember the context, is of a father to a son, of a king to an heir. And that is important because what you have is a primarily male audience with feminine figures. What is the primary means by which Lady Folly manipulates the reader? It is through seduction. We've talked about this just in passing, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but, but, and this is an oversimplification, but the Bible understands that men and women are different, and thus we have different temptations and weaknesses inherent within our genome, okay? Women, we learn from Paul, are prone to deception. Men, we learn from the Proverbs, are prone to seduction. They are both essentially two sides of the same coin, and and and. Fools fall for one or the other. Many years ago, I think I've shared this before, I was watching the news and uh, another scandal in Congress, Senator, House Representative, whatever, and, and they were interviewing one of the um, uh, women senators or representative, whatever, whatever she was, and they, you, you can see a sense of exhaustion. She says, look, uh, uh, another congresswoman and I, we were coming out of the restroom and we saw all the cameras and everything that one of our male colleagues is in another sex scandal. And we looked at each other and we just sort of shrugged our shoulders thinking, why is this such a problem? And every man here in the interview says, I know why it's a problem. Because men are prone to seduction. And not just when it comes to sexual temptation, but to a host of things. Many men will make foolish decisions because they think it'll make them a little extra money. Many men will make a lot of foolish decisions because of X, Y, and Z. Men are prone to seduction. And no wonder then she weaponizes a man's desires for their destruction. Not for her good, but for their destruction. Wisdom invites, she welcomes in, she is hospitable. Folly is destructive. And you'll notice there in verse 14 that we are given no description of Folly's house. You remember that, that Wisdom's house had the seven pillars and she built it and all that sort of stuff. Lady Wisdom, we don't have any of this. All we have there in verse 14 is she sits at the door of her house. That's it. It's got a door, but you already knew that, didn't you? But it has windows and a roof too. We have no description really of her house. She sits like Lady Wisdom on high places, which suggests that she is a rival temple. Isn't it, isn't it just so fascinating? 
So again, we are, we are being told, you are at a fork in the road. Which path will you choose? Will you go in the direction of wisdom and there worship at the feet of the omni-wise God, God? Or will you go the way of folly and there you will choose for yourself idolatry? So you see here that the true worship of Yahweh, we'll, we'll get in the middle section, is wisdom. The false worship of idols is itself foolishness. They are both temples. They are both at high places. One will seduce you and therefore destroy you. One will welcome you and therefore bless you. Which one will we choose? We are given these these two options. So we get manipulation. Notice this in parallel with wisdom is invitation. An invitation is there there in verse 15. Um, Calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let them turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, and you, we go on for there. Notice it's, it's, it's very simpler, simple, right? You can go back to verse four. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Whoever uh, lacks sense, she says. You see, it's parallel. We see the same invitation, the same language of both wisdom and folly. But you'll notice here she appeals to those who pass by. These are simpletons. These are individuals who are vulnerable vulnerable and she targets them she does not target the wise because they are not so easily seduced she targets those who are vulnerable who lack the wisdom to perceive who lack the wisdom of insight we saw with wisdom who lack the uh, knowledge and the prudence and the discretion and the understanding that we met in chapter 8 associated with wisdom she targets her victims and she targets victims who are particularly weak. Well, let's look one more word here, and that is exploitation, verses 17 to 18. Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So notice here that both wisdom and folly invite, but in, in, in that invitation, wisdom invites for, to participate. Folly invites to exploit. And what do those invited find? Well, first of all, we see that the water is stolen. Perhaps that is what makes it delicious, right? Let, let's be honest. If, 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 it was, uh, if it's stolen, it tastes better, right? I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. You know, we play this game with kids, Right? Uh, you know, if, let's say you, you're, you're your niece or nephew. Let's have fun with it. They're sitting right with you, and they, they, they've got a pile of French fries on, on their table. You'll say, hey, niece, look over there. When they look over, eat their fry, right? Tastes better, doesn't it? It just tastes better, right? Maybe that's the idea that we have. I don't know. But notice, it's not just that the water is stolen, but the bread is eaten in secrets. There's a great comedian who, who uh, did a whole thing about whispers. And, and he said, uh, uh, there's a, you may remember the commercial. Uh, I can't remember what, what, the, what the product was called, but it was to help your hearing, and you can hear from long distance. And in the commercial, it is, it is a, a woman who is hearing other women talk about her in whispers. Now, now I know you're, you're thinking, oh, no, I'm not going to buy that. Here's the thing. In the commercial, what the women are saying from a distance are complimentary. Right? They're out on the beach. Wow. She looks so good in, in that bathing suit. I wish I had a body like that, right? And the comedian goes, can I give you some advice? Whispers weren't meant for compliments. 
right? If someone is whispering about you, you probably don't want to hear what they have to say. So too, if the bread is being eaten in secret, it is because it is stolen like the water. And notice you have bread and wine in one, not to mention the meat. And here you just have stolen bread, stolen water. It isn't, it isn't as as special. It is, you, you have to eat it in secret. Whereas Lady Wisdom, she is open and she is inviting. She is hospitable. Uh, Lady Folly, she is seductive and she is in secret. Her, her house is dark. There's a lot of shadows there. And I want you to notice there that the end is exploitation. She is associated with death. So uh, Wisdom says, go and live. Here, her message is go and die. Again, verse 18, the language here is interesting. I want you to look at your Bible, see if you have any fun footnotes um, and see if it makes any sense to you. Um, but he does not know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Now remember, this is Hebrew parallelism. The first half of the verse and the second half of the verse are saying the same thing in two different ways. This is great Hebrew poetry. Now it's wisdom literature, yes, but it's, it's Hebrew uh, literary device, which means the first part matches the second part. Now remember the Hebrew word transliterated as sheol, it's just a Hebrew word sheol, it means the grave, it means death, it may hint at the afterlife of judgments. Now that's a, that's a separate discussion, we, we, I'm sure we've had it before and, and I still don't have it all figured out. However, I want you to notice this, the word translated in the ESV, and I suspect your translation as well, in the first part it says that um, he does not know that the dead are there. I suspect your translation says something like that. The Hebrew word is the Rephaim. If you know your Old Testament, you may be familiar with the valley of the Rephaim. There's some battles that happen there, whatnot. The word Rephaim, and we cannot chase this rabbit, though the nerd in me wants to. The Rephaim is a reference to giants. Now, you're interested in it now, and too bad, we just can't go into details. And what it seems to be is that the, 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 the slayed and deceased uh, judge giants, they, they, they seem to be bound in, 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 in a, uh, what, what's called the shades or something like that. You get real wonky at some point here. But the idea isn't that they just die, but, but the simple who are seduced by Lady Folly, they, they, they are destroyed in judgments. She sends them to hell, if you will. This is where it ends. With wisdom, you are given life. After all, it is the tree of life we found in chapter 8. But with Lady Folly, what is it you find? Death and judgments. You will join the Rephaim. Well, so you see the contrast, right, in, in, in the parallels. You see Lady Wisdom in the opening third. You see Lady Folly, the final third. And then there is this middle section, and there is significant debate over what to do with it. In fact, I'm willing to bet you can see this debate in your Bible if you have headlines, uh, subtitles, if you will. Um, uh, is subtitle the right word? I think it is. Um, subsections, you know, he headings. You may find that, uh, like my ESV, um, the verses 1 to 12 is labeled the way of wisdom. Verses 13 to 18 are labeled the way of folly. But as we've seen, actually the way it works, this, and, and this is implies there's two sections to the chapter. Actually, there's three. It's 18 verses, six verses of all three. And so what do you do? What do you do with the middle section? I don't have it all figured out yet. But, but, but what I think is happening here, 
and I could be wrong, is, is I, I think that Solomon, uh, because the Bible is written in, in an artistic way, it's really, the more you see it, just the more I think you'll fall in love with the Bible. Because it's, it's not just truth, it's beautiful truth. And it's beautiful truth that's for your good. Is, is, is he, he has this middle section sandwiched on either side of the choice. And so, so he, he is saying here that, that what you find in the middle is the way of the simple. So you have the way of wisdom on the one hand, the way of folly on the other. It's the way of the simple here in the middle. And it is a way, even though you, meet it, you read it in the middle, it's intended for you to reflect on what is found in the middle. This is where the reader is to meditate the most. And so he, he, he's going to do this sort of thing where, where you're going to meet wisdom, you're going to meet folly. And, and, he's, he, and Solomon is again pleading with his son to choose the way of wisdom. Choose the way of wisdom. Let me just highlight a few words here. The first, first word is correction. What, what is going to separate the way of wisdom and the way of, of folly? The first word is correction, verses 7 and 8. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. It's correction. Now you'll notice what he's doing there. He's giving you advice on how to treat other people. There are fools in your life. You will save yourself a lot of trouble in just accepting the fact that they are fools and will never listen to you. Never listen to you. One of the things uh, uh, the family and I were watching years ago, the uh, CW series, The Flash. We love The Flash, DC superhero. My son's favorite superhero is The Flash. They've ruined, the movie was terrible. Um, but, but we loved the show. The opening uh, seasons were, were really good. For CW, really good. However, with each passing season, they just got worse to the point we stopped watching it. It was just terrible, okay? One of the things that bothered me, and it became a running joke, was the CWs, they love their, their love triangles and drama. Is, is the Flash stopped being a superhero. It makes no sense to me. And what you found was, um, because we're all about female empowerment and stuff, the wife of the Flash, Barry Allen, um, instead of the Flash running in there to save people from the bank robber, whatever it is, they would send his wife in there, uh, whoever the villain is, to have a conversation. And at one point, the, the Flash team are meeting and the Flash is thinking, okay, team, what should we do to stop the bad guy? And his wife goes, you know, I tried talking to him and he just won't listen to me. Like, he's a villain. And, and have you ever been able to talk a madman out of, out of his madness? No, no. You, you thought a five-minute conversation before a commercial, I would add, that all of a sudden he would say, you know what? I was going to become a millionaire by robbing the bank and I have these superpowers. The cops can't stop me. <laughs> you know, now that you put it that I'm hurting people's feelings, I guess I'm going to turn my life around for the good. I mean, they we're watching this like this, this, is, this is dumb. This is dumb. You have the world's fastest man and he's sitting on the sidelines. Send him in there to save everybody. This isn't complicated. Every Flash episode should be 30 seconds long. He runs in there. He's faster than everybody. You can't stop him. Boom, it's over with. Now, with that idea that if we just talk about it, you, 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 but, but here it says that you, that you are you, the rebuking a, a scoffer, rebuking a fool is itself foolishness. But the wise man will not only, will, will essentially receive uh, correction, which means he's saying to the reader, be the wise man. Be the wise man. 
Have your eyes open and your ears ready, ready, ready to hear. The big idea, I think, the broader point here to the reader is to be humble. The way of wisdom is to be humble. The way of folly is the way of pride. And, and, and what separates these two for the simple men is a simple man who is humble enough to say, I don't know. I need to listen. I need to learn. And he's pleading with him here. Now, the idea of scoffers is all over Proverbs. Let me give you three examples. Proverbs 13, 1, a wise son hears his father's instruction. A scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs 14, 6, a scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Proverbs 15, 12, a scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. Where does he go? He goes to the fools because the fool will affirm his foolishness. Well, that's correction. Notice verse 9 and 10, instruction. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Now, here we, we see... Um, um, we, we see here the, 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 the wise men and the foolish in that um, the wise man will receive instruction. The foolish, of course, will reject it. Um, someone can do the math for me um, because I didn't think of it until about 10 minutes before I came out here for worship. Is verse 10 the center of this? I don't think it works out, is it? If there's 18 verses, verse 10 isn't the middle, is it? It would be verse 9. That's unfortunate because I would have a really beautiful point that you would think I was uh, brilliant if it was verse 9. But I think verse 10 is the center of the book of Proverbs because it's repeated in, ver in chapter 1. It's repeated throughout. We talked about this last week. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. But you'll notice here that he is saying that the way of wisdom is to be teachable. Um, the wise men, uh, this is insightful to me. The wise have never arrived at perfect wisdom. You need to see that. If you're like me, I have a standard of Solomon is the most wise man ever other than Jesus, and he has an advantage over us, I guess. Solomon is the wisest man. I'm not wise until I reach his level. That is not what Proverbs does and says. He said the wise man is the one always becoming wise. Uh, Harry S. Truman is known for his quote. It's over at TFCA Library. I, th I think that's where I saw it recently, that... Not every reader is a leader, but every leader is a reader. I think that's worth remembering. You could apply that beyond leadership, but certainly true of leadership. You meet a good leader and you'll find someone who is a uh, proficient reader. Why? Because leaders know they haven't arrived at being the perfect leader. They're always learning to read. The best investors are those studying and in, 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 uh, uh, investing. The best theologians are those reading about theology and studying theology, right? We, we get this. The best coaches are ones still learning the game. The best players are those still studying the game. We get this across the board. So too, those who are wise are those who are still becoming wise. That's, that's his point here. Be teachable. Sit, sit, sit at the feet of the wise and you will become wise. Finally, uh, the, the, the word that sticks out to me is life. Verse 11 and 12. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. This is the ultimate benefit of wisdom. She is the secret to the blessed life. Remember, what will, what will folly do? She will send you to the grave. She will send you the judgment with the Rephaim. 
Notice verse 11, by her, our days will be multiplied. We will have years added to your life. And that's true, right? If you don't destroy your body when you're young, you will benefit from that from a longer life. This is common sense stuff. Wisdom gives life. Folly brings death. So the big idea here is to be blessed. To grow in wisdom is to enjoy the many blessings of God while avoiding the many curses of foolish sins. Ultimately here, what we find is the ball is left in the reader's court. We are simpletons, and he's, and he's saying to us to be humble, to be teachable, to be blessed. And how do we do those things? We must choose the way of wisdom. Well, one of the things I've found is that the, uh, one of the greatest temptations we face as a modern society is that we seem to really believe the lie, which is a seductive deceit, that we can choose foolishness without destruction. We can choose sin without consequences. Even though Lady Wisdom here is given to us by an ancient writer who ruled in the ancient world, this wise man will tell you that in his foolishness he found destruction. And what he passed on to his son was foolishness. To, to, to think that we can choose folly and yet enjoy the benefits of wisdom, that is the road towards madness. And only the forked tongue of the serpent and Lady Wisdom could convince us of that. So let us as the church be different. Let us demonstrate by our voices, by our actions, by our deeds, by our lives. There is indeed a better way. And that way is wisdom. Well, let's pray.